This is the Tannish Podcast and I am your host, Nick. I'm Brandon. Brandon, doesn't it feel, it's a little relieving, it's a little relaxing to be here and we're firmly in November now. We've survived Spooktober. We survived Spooktober. I'm excited to do a non-Spooktober list today, I hope. Yeah, this is not spooky. This list and... Well, hang on, don't don't tell us yet. No, I'm not. First, tell them how, this, yeah. tell them how the goddamn show works. Each week, one of us brings a list, usually 10 items on the list, and the other does not know the items on the list or what the list is comprised of beforehand, and they try to guess it along with you, the home or work or commuter listener. Brandon, tell us our non-spooktober top 10 list today. Well, we are going to, you're going to guess the top 10, but I actually have the top 100. Whoa. The AFI's 100 greatest movie quotes. Oh, movie quotes? Yes. Wow, that's going to be hard. It is going to be difficult, but I feel like sometimes there's different aspects of a list that can be fun. And this week's episode, I think that the fun is going to come from the clues, from using clues to guess. Because all of these you will be somewhat familiar with. Well, None of them are outside of your grasp with enough clues. Do you have someone competent on hold that you're going to bring onto the call to give me some good clues? No. Well, then who's going to give me the good clues? It's me. I'm going to give you Wait. the good, good clues because I know... I'm confused. I know your mind. <laughs> Do you? I know it pretty well. Now, let me tell you about the list here. It's made by the American Film Institute, which I guess is as close to an authority as you can get on movie quotes. It was published in 2005, celebrating 100 years, I guess, of there being an American Film Institute. Really self-congratulatory. Next thing they're going to do is start reading Apple podcast reviews of themselves. Yeah. It was put to, uh, so, it was voted on by chosen leaders of the entertainment industry. They didn't list those leaders, but I assume... Voted on, right? You said voted? Yeah, they were voted on from a list of, I think, more than 400 and then there were up to five write-ins allowed as well. And this is as of 2005, which is important. It is somewhat important. There's something I noticed about this list with at least one particular movie that I think is a reflection of when the list was made in 2005. And I will also say that the list is mostly unaffected by the fact that the, it, that the list was made 14 years ago because the majority of the movies listed in it came out between like 1930 and 1980. See, that is such horseshit. People think that for a movie to be a classic or like an all-time great, it has to be like 50 years old at least. I will tell you that I've seen several of the movies that are listed in the top 10 and both the quote and the movie are very unrelatable by today's standards. I really don't understand why. I know people were still people 50 years ago. But sometimes in the movies, the things they say, the dialogue, the way they interact, I know it's an interpretation or it's a representation of what people were like at the time, but it's so bizarre in their mannerisms, behavior, and dialogue that it's unrelatable. Several of these fall into that category. Is number one or number two the quote from Killer Clowns from Outer Space? What would that quote be? It just the, Look at my inflatable tits. An inflating noise in parentheses inflates. <laughs> it's like a subtitle. In parentheses breasts inflate. That's not number one? No. No. Are you sure? There's nothing about clowns in the top 10. All right. And w I'll give you one other warning and, and maybe this is a, also a helpful hint. Most of these quotes are so overused that they are, they're the corniest shit in the world now because you have heard them 
driven into the ground in the most lame ways possible for your entire life. I'll bet I know a few of them and then I bet I don't know the most of them. That's where, uh, that's where the fun with clues is going to come in. The clue master is here. The Riddler. Uh, that's you? Yeah, it's going to have to be. Do you have prepared clues already in advance? No, I haven't prepared clues, but... Okay, well... I Like I said, I know your mind. We're here with Brandon's bulletins, everyone. I don't need to prepare the clues. If you're a listener, prepare the snooze, am I right, for Brandon's bulletins? <sighs> wow. <laughs> All right. I'm sure everyone's wide awake now. All right, should we? Should I guess? You just gave everyone a B12 shot in the ass of shitty jokes. <laughs> Are you ready for me to go? Yeah, go ahead. You're going to need a bigger boat. That Jaws. is a great guess. It is not in the top 10, but it is in the top 100. Mm. Now, when we talk about the quality of these quotes, I agree with you. You're going to need a bigger boat should be in the top 10 because it's way more useful uh, on a day-to-day basis than these other ones. You're going to need a bigger boat as said by Roy Scheider's character Martin Brody in Jaws. 1975 is number 35 on the list. Uh, yeah, we'll see what the top 10 is, but right now I'm thinking that's that's too low. I'll be back, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll be back is in the top 100 is number 37. So, I'm nailing the 30s here in this list. Yeah. I, do you want to just do the top 30 through 39th best quotes you would of be, all time? Yeah. Well, two out of 10. You there. would have some difficulty with the rest of them. Is there a quote? from David Spade in the top 10? Unfortunately not. I don't know why there isn't. Adam Sandler? No. In fact, let me take a quick earnest glance here. I'm trying to see if any of the movies in the top 10 could be considered a comedy and the answer is no. There are no comedies in the top 10. Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Are you the Ed McMahon, here's Johnny or the- No, The um, Shining. Yeah, The Shining. It- <laughs> Hold on, I am looking for it. It is number 68 on the list. Give me, all right. I know. Let's get a new list. I don't agree with a lot of placements on here, but leaders in the entertainment industry, okay? So, Tom Bergeron, Howie Mandel, Gloria (laughs) Estefan, Donald Trump, Seth Green. Are you just saying names or are these the real things? These are the leaders who voted on the... I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing it's a lot of like producers or, you know, old Hollywood people and agents and shit. What's that quote from Sound of Music? Or is it Sound of Music or is it the uh, Gone with the Wind? Okay, now, Gone with with the Wind has multiple quotes in the top 100, including one in the top 10. The one, something about, I don't give a damn. Number fucking one. I mean, the 30s and number one. I dropped an F, but he did go from the 30s straight to number one. How's the quote go? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Said by Clark Gable's character, Rhett Butler. (laughs) Butler in Gone with the Wind, 1939. It's number one on the list. And see, that's what I'm talking about. They're corny. You've heard that so many times used in so many lame ways that it's just lost whatever flavor it might have once had. It's like a blow pop, the gum and the blow pop. <laughs> Flavor's good for the first little bit. After that, you're just fucking chewing on rubber, am I right? Now, it's become the answer to a wheel of fortune puzzle. <laughs> it's, it's lost it. So, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? Pro- uh, no. You like, not like maybe like a piece, a bit or a piece maybe here and there? Maybe on TV here and there when I was yeah. a kid. When people watch TV. I have watched through the whole thing once 
in like, well, it was broken up into several school sessions or made to watch it, forced to watch it in school. Was that detention? No, that was just regular old... Military school? That was regular old uh, school where someone didn't do lesson plans for like a week and said, we're going to learn about the Civil War. Set in the American South against the backdrop of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction Era, Gone with the Wind tells the story of Scarlett O'Hara, the strong-willed daughter of a Georgia plantation owner. <clears throat> it follows her romantic pursuit of Ashley Wilkes, who is married to his cousin, Melanie Hamilton, and her subsequent marriage to Rhett Butler. Rhett Butler? I hardly know her. At the, at the end of the movie, she's all up in his fucking business tell, saying like, she's, he's leaving. He's leaving. He's done with her stuff. And she's like, where will I go? What will I do? And that's when he turns around and he's like, frankly, I don't give a shit. No. And he slapped her. <laughs> you had some editorializing on the quote there. <laughs> he slapped her. Holy shit. I love well, it. was the 30s. I love it when somebody, when somebody describes an outright lie or fabrication as editorializing. <laughs> such a sweet name, such a sweet euphemism for like, he just made a bunch yeah. of stuff up. Well, you did go to journalism school. Now, Clark Gable. Listener of the show. Is the actor who delivered that line. And now I've... Wasn't he like a total asshole in reality? He straight up banged his way through Hollywood. Didn't he kill somebody? Am I thinking... Is it Clark Gable or there's another... He didn't kill Charlie anybody. Chapman maybe? There was a... There's a famous actor from the early Hollywood era that killed someone in their car and it was covered up. Like killed someone on accident, I think like drunk driving. Oh, well, there's a few of those. Matthew Broderick was driving the wrong way in Ireland and hit people in a head-on collision and killed them. And he was possibly drunk at the time. Then uh, Natalie Wood died and Christopher Walken was there. I don't know. I looked it up before and I read all about it. But like uh, Ted Kennedy was also involved with somebody else dying. Ted Kennedy was up before or after he was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> Well, so let me tell you about Clark Gable now. <laughs> See here, I did a deep dive into Clark Gable's biography. Yeah, fucking bet you did. Deep dive into his what? His biography. Okay. And I hunted down his birth certificate and I'm a Clark Gable birther. The hell's that? A birther? A birther yeah. is the name for the people who subscribe to the conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was born oh, in God. Kenya. Obama? Yeah. He's not even American. So. Clark Gable's original birth certificate listed him as both male and female. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. It subsequently was changed to female. That was reportedly a mistake. The doctor's handwriting was illegible. He was born in 1899. However, this is evidence mm -hmm. possibly pointing to Clark Gable being a hermaphrodite. Do you want to... Why wouldn't he be? Do you want to make fun of the hermaphrodites now? Is that where we're going? Is a hermaphrodite a real thing? Isn't it? I thought it was like a, like a pegasus. I, holy shit. I think that's the first time a hermaphrodite's ever been compared to a pegasus. I want all of our hermaphrodite listeners to know you're welcome here. We are an inclusive podcast. And just because the sidekick host says something rude about you, don't take that to reflect the opinions of the entire production team. Or, there's lots of organisms that are hermaphrodites like slugs, snails, a clownfish. Did you know clownfish are hermaphrodites? 
Nemo. Oh, good. That means it wasn't gay when I fucked that clownfish the other day. Oh, my God. Nemo is a hermaphrodite. Swamp eels, <laughs> roundworms. So, yeah, there are all kinds of slugs, snails. Yeah. All kinds of interesting gooey critters that are hermaphrodites, including clownfish. You're comparing Clark Gable to one of these gooey, slimy figures. <laughs> Just interesting. Earthworms. So, Nemo the hermaphrodite. Earthworms, Earthworms are simultaneous hermaphrodites having both male and female reproductive organs. Now, what's the benefit of that? Like evolutionarily speaking... Well, if, if earthworms are just male and female and you're digging through the dirt, you can't see shit, you're just wiggling yeah. around all the time and you finally happen to bump into another earthworm and you're like, we may not get another <laughs> chance, it's dark down here, let's do it. And you're like, you fumble around for a minute and you realize, oh crap, you're a dude, you're another dude, get out of here. And you push him down the dirt. That's awful, right? Oh my God. If you run into- <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You run into one other worm your whole life. And you can't procreate. So, this way, if they got both Is going, <laughs> they run into the, the dirt, says, you're going to be who you want to be. I'll do whatever. Let's do them both. Let's just 69 and let's just plug in. We'll both get knocked up. I could buy this rationale, except for the fact that have you ever like dug your hands in the dirt, brought your hand up and seen a singular earthworm? There's always like a few of them at a time. I'm not so convinced that earthworms never run into other earthworms except for once or twice in their life. I think that's a false narrative you're trying to, to spread here. Mm. Well, I guess you've done more worm research. I, my research was all into Clark Gable's birth. I didn't get, up, get that. By research, you mean one fact that you saw on Wikipedia about his birth certificate. Well, it led us here. That's, that's fair. He was nominated for best actor in that role and it was the last line spoken in the film. Was it? That's kind of cool. I didn't know it was the last line in the film. Yeah. He's basically like... Fuck it, I'm out. So, they don't have a happy ending together? Mm -mm. No, maybe it's his. I thought the real last line was, she said, uh, tomorrow's another day. Mm. I thought the last line was, paint me like one of your little French girls. That movie's in the top 100. Is it top 10? No. So, <clears throat> that's it for Frankly My Dear, I Don't Give a Damn. Corniest. Number one. One of the corniest shits that ever happened. Okay, come on. In 1939, that shit was red hot. <laughs> White hot. Bunch of guys walking around the street going like, <laughs> frankly, my dear. <laughs> frankly, my dear. Flipping their collar on their jacket. Yeah. You ready for another guess? I'm ready. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. It's number six. It's number four. I'm on it today. It was spoken by Dorothy Gale, played by Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. And that movie also came out in 1939, also was directed by Victor Fleming. Yeah, if you say so. Now, The Wizard of Oz, I don't need to tell anybody what The Wizard of Oz is about because I think everybody, I bet there's at least one person who was born in a literal cave who has seen The Wizard of Oz. So, why is it that everyone's seen Wizard of Oz? You're right, everyone. I've seen it. My kid has seen it. Yeah. How come nobody's watching Gone with the Wind? Because Gone with the Wind's boring as shit, it's right? It's boring as hell and it's like three hours long. I'm pretty sure that The Wizard of Oz might even be less than an hour and a half. Well, the people are listening to us to hear the movie runtimes. And it's a pretty like straightforward, interesting story, a fantastical story as opposed to 
hey, look at all these sad white plantation order owners we should feel sorry for in the Civil War. Yeah. Now, the munchkins. Well, you don't want to talk about the witch's, the color of her nipples again? We like... already covered that. Okay. Uh, we can go, you can go back to... Um, the archives. Tennispod.com to hear past episodes. You're just going to have to listen to every episode until you get to That's the right. Wicked Witch's nipples. <laughs> Actually, you could probably only listen to three or four and you'll probably, probably hear something about that. Did you know Apple Podcasts now you can search for a specific phrase like that and it will return podcast episodes? Oh my God. I hope that phrase is out there being searched. So, the munchkins. Yeah. Have you ever heard that the munchkins were uh, rowdy behind the scenes <laughs> during the filming of The Wizard of Oz? It's not hard to believe though. Why do you think it's, I mean. Because you had, a, because they're all, weren't they all men? Most of them were men, I feel there like. There were a lot of women. So, the munchkins were played by adult actors with dwarfism and normal sized children, like a mix. So, the, all the, you know, the guys in the like, the leaders of the city, the ones who are like. The ones who sing the lollipop no, song? No, no, no. The lollipop guild and the lullaby league. <laughs> is a mix of children. I think those are all children. It's the guys who are like the coroner and the mayor and those other guys that are hanging around with the mayor who are like, check her and make sure she's really dead, <laughs> which is a fucked up thing. It's a kid's movie like, call the coroner, make sure this bitch is dead. <laughs> yeah, those were all adults with dwarfism and they were getting up to shenanigans behind the scenes. Yeah, like what? In a 1967 interview, Judy Garland referred to all of the munchkins as, quote, little drunks <laughs> who got intoxicated every night to the point where they had to be picked up in butterfly nets. Okay. Do you think that was, she's exaggerating there? Yes. She was a pill popping okay. boozing mama <laughs> at this point. I just like the picture that she painted of the munchkins. As little drunks getting scooped up in butterfly nets. That There's a cheap shot, the butterfly net, th net yeah, thing. Yeah, it is a cheap shot. I like that these munchkins, they're all, none of them are big name actors, right? They're, they're essentially, most of them are essentially extras in a movie. You'd be surprised how many of them have their own Wikipedia pages and were professional actors and actresses. Okay, but a lot of them probably got their start in Wizard of Oz and then most of them Maybe. didn't do yeah. anything else of note. And so, they're showing up on set and you'd think you'd be on your best behavior. You know, you're trying to make a good impression, you don't know anybody. I could be the next Audie Murphy. Well, I, they didn't have <laughs> Audie Murphy by then but yeah. I, Austin Powers. Be the, I could be the next mini me. <laughs> <laughs> I could be the next Mickey in Seinfeld. Right. I need to mind my P's and Q's and need to nail this lollipop guild dance. Yeah, but no, they're, they're saying, fuck it, I'm, you know, who am I if I'm not me? They said, and they just, you know, drank the town. Drinking from a little thimble of hooch. <laughs> oh my God. Now, I found out something else about The Wizard of Oz, a little fact that I've never shared on. I've shared facts about Wizard of Oz on here before. Yeah. I've, I didn't know this one till tonight. The cowardly lion's costume was made out of actual lion fur. Like why? <laughs> why go through that trouble? No one is going to know. Yeah, don't, you don't have to fucking murder a lion. <laughs> It's totally unnecessary. Like, if you had not told me that, I would have never known that. Never would have even crossed I my mind. I, I had no idea either. Yeah, the costume was extremely hot under the lights when they were filming. 
What a stupid idea. I mean, they must have done that for authenticity, right? I mean, it is a really good looking costume. I'll listen to you. It is. I've all, Won't you just... I've always thought it yeah. was a really cool looking costume, especially for 1939. You have a fetish for that costume, don't you? You want to see someone in that costume. You, I bet there's a bunch of furries who got their start looking at the cowardly lion's butt waving around that <laughs> tail. Said, if somehow we could get a whole convention hall together f- full of us... Okay. The thing about furries, we've talked about furries at least one other time, but they are just rubbing on each other, right? They're not getting naked. No, there's holes in those suits that open up. There's no there's way. There's ports. There's genital ports. Think about a mascot outfit. It's like wearing a bubble almost because it's like big on you. It's I not- think there's only certain like positions that it'll work in. Kind of like how if a couple, if they're both very overweight, they have to have like kind of certain positions that they can use. I bet that the furry community kind of has some guidelines about that. Well, shout out to all the double fat couples listening to us right now. Hey, we're talking about both these movies are from the 30s. Are they both 1939? Both of those movies were made in 1939 and both shared a director, Victor Fleming. Yeah, allegedly. I know we've talked about this off air. I don't believe we've talked about this on air. But when I think too hard about this, my mind is blown. Think about editing process of films before modern technology. Back in the fucking 30s, they're hand editing little, you know, bullshit. Yeah. It is just fucking crazy to me that people hand edited like these major films back then. Is there another Wizard of Oz quote in the top 10? Because I know of one that might be. There is not, but not in the top 10, but in the top 100, yes. Okay, because there's the... There's no place like home. Yeah, and, and your little dog too. I don't know if the dog one is, but No Place Like Home is in the top 100. It's number 23. Is there a Godfather quote in the top 10? There is a Godfather quote in the top 10. Is it the one about my boy? They murdered my boy? No, but I like... <laughs> Look what they did to my boy. <laughs> yeah, that. I've never seen Godfather. What is the quote then? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Oh, God. Of course. Right. Number... Five. That's number two. Mm. Is that Godfather 1? That is, yes, that is the first Godfather. The line is read, possibly read off of a cue card off camera by Marlon Brando uh, who played Vito Corleone. Why do you say that, the cue card? Because later in his career that he wasn't memorizing his lines and he was reading them off cue cards behind the other actors' heads. Was it obvious? No. You got to be a good actor to pull that off. Well, he's Marlon Brando. They say that there's like, for film acting, there's like before Brando and after Brando. So, yeah, I guess if anybody could do it, he could. But he was definitely not right later in his career when he got super overweight and got diabetes, started hanging out with Michael Jackson all the time. Of course. So, The Godfather. Have you seen The Godfather? No. God damn it. So, The Godfather stars Marlon Brando and Al Pacino as the leaders of a fictional New York crime family. The story, spanning 1945 to 1955, chronicles the family under patriarch Vito Corleone, focusing on the transformation of Michael Corleone from a reluctant family outsider to ruthless mafia boss. You also have not seen Goodfellas. I would say between the two of them, you would probably enjoy Goodfellas more, but between the two of them, Godfather is probably like the more important one to see. But Goodfellas, I'm confused. I thought that was the one 
with Steve Carell and Jim Carrey as the magicians. Is that not Goodfellas? Is there a movie where Steve Carell and Jim Carrey play magicians? Yeah. There is? What's it called? The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> anyway. Now, do you know what he, what the Godfather, what Vito Corleone is saying when he says, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse? Kill him. No. You ought to see the movie. So, what happens in the movie is Johnny Fontaine, who is Vito's godson, comes to see him. He's a singer and his career is going down the tubes. This is like the first scene in the movie. At first, he comes to the godfather and he starts whining and crying about like, I can't get in this movie. I got to have it in this movie. My career is going down the toilet. What do I do? And the first thing Godfather does is he bitch slaps him and says, you could be a man. And then he kind of dusts him off and puts him together and he says, you know, who's the name of the producer of this movie? I'm going to get you in the movie. How are you going to convince him? And he says, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. He sends Robert Duvall's character, who's like their lawyer. He's like the guy who just gets it done for him. He sends him out to Los Angeles to this producer. Producer takes him around his estate and he shows him a $600,000 racehorse, this thoroughbred racehorse he has. But he keeps denying Hagen and he says, no, I'm not going to cast him. It's not going to happen. So, the next morning he wakes up and that horse's head is in the bed next to him. And he knows if he doesn't cast Johnny Fontaine in his movie, that he'll probably get murdered. So, he made him an offer he couldn't possibly refuse. Spoiler alert. Well, that happens in the first like 15 minutes in the movie and also everyone else in the world has seen that. Again, that kid that was born in a cave that has seen Wizard of Oz has probably also seen The Godfather. And I think more people have seen Wizard of Oz than uh, Godfather. You could be a man. I did it. I got number two. One, two and four. See, it's not that hard. Now, there's another Marlon Brando quote in the top 10. What else has he been in? To me, this one is a lot, is less well known. I've never seen the movie and the movie sounds boring as hell. Well, I'm looking at his filmography. Julius Caesar? No. Um, well, I'm not going to get the, his other quote, so just tell me. It's from On the Waterfront in 1954. It's, you don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. Could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. I could have been a contender is number three on the list. Do you see what I'm talking about, about them being corny and stupid? That is the tennis podcast of quotes. It sucks. <laughs> it's corny and stupid, right? I don't want to see on the waterfront and that quote doesn't help me want to see it. I don't get it. How come on the waterfront is an all-time great famous film and you don't want to see it, so why am I attacked for not seeing The Godfather? Because I have seen it and I'm telling you that it is good and you would like it. If someone said, I did see you on the waterfront and you're wrong, you would like it, I would probably check it out. Nah. <laughs> okay. The on the waterfront focuses on union violence and corruption amongst longshoremen while dealing with widespread corruption, extortion, and racketeering on the waterfronts of Hoboken, New Jersey. And you do what a, you know what a longshoreman is? Yeah. You don't? Of course. It's a waterfront manual laborer. Somebody who like right. loads and unloads ships, yeah. trucks, trains, or airplanes. Yeah, I know. Well, that's who this guy was that said he could have been a contender. It's a movie about guys who work at, a, at the dock. Well. People used to think that Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson were lovers. Isn't Marlon Brando like 20 or 30 years older than Jack Nicholson? Yes. But Jack Nicholson likes the ladies young. Maybe he likes his men old. It was further confused because Marlon Brando admitted that he had had homosexual experiences 
And if you look at his personal life, every celebrity has like, most of them have like a little personal life section. Mm-hmm. It usually contains the most juiciest bits. His is a long section full of fat and juicy bits. It is a long list of actresses. He, it's like him and Clark Gable must have had a contest. They just ran through Hollywood at a full sprint with a boner in front of them. Just slaying everything they came across. Yeah. So, that's it. I haven't seen that movie. I don't know anything else about the quote. I don't give a rat's ass about him being a contender. God damn, hot take. Going all out. Something about it just completely uninterests me. But somebody please feel free to prove me wrong. Let's go on to another guess. Say hello to my little friend. Say hello to my little friend is not in the top 10. Oh. It is, oh, it's number 61. Wow. Oh, I know what it one is. I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having is in the top 100, but not in the top 10. All right. It's actually pretty high. Can I get some credit for these guesses though? You didn't think I'd do Yeah, these are good guesses. And like I said, I also don't agree necessarily with the order. Life is like a box of chocolates. Life is a box of chocolate is not in the top 10, is in the top 100. There is no 90s movie in the top 10. For the remaining movies in the top 10, there was one released in 1942. I won't get that. One in 1983, one in 1950, one in 1977, another in 1950, and another in 1976. So, this is the point at which I am pretty sure that I'm going to have to give you some clues. Luke, I am your father. Okay. I like where you're going with that. Luke, I am your father is first of all, not the exact quote. It is, Obi-Wan never told you. And then he, Luke says, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. He says, no, I am your father. But no, that's not in the top 100. But there is another quote from Star Wars, A New Hope that is in the top 10. It's a trap. <laughs> no, that's from Return of the I Jedi. <laughs> that would be great. The way he swivels around in his uh, his eyes, which are already huge, <laughs> the eyelids open. They go completely open, bug eyed. He goes, "It's a trap!" With his mouth just flippy flopping around. I know. Well, it, you it's know, it'd be like so hard. I'd be scared in the moment, but a little bit, I'd be laughing like that fucking shrimp just told me <laughs> it's a trap. He's so animatronic looking in that spot. <laughs> it's like, have you? Why does he get to be the admiral? Have you seen that motherfucker try to use an iPhone with his flippers? He can't type. He can't eat with a fork. He eats prawns. Okay, everybody's okay with the admiral being a fish? But he's a shrimp is not a fish. No, he... Oh, I don't know. He's some... He's... A crustacean. He is a crustacean. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Star Wars, uh, my friend doesn't like you and I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that guy. You'll be dead. <laughs> no, unfortunately, you'll be dead is not the one in the top 10. It's much more generic. Is it Yoda? It's not Yoda. It's actually, okay, the exact quote in the, in the top 10 is said by Harrison Ford's character Han Solo, but a variation is also spoken by Alec Guinness's character Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like the most generic Star Wars sentence you could say. May the force be with you, Jesus yeah. Christ. May the force, of course. May the force be with you is number eight on the list. Now, may the force be with you is the exact line is the one that Harrison Ford 
sort of says with a weird half smile as almost an apology to Luke at the end of the movie. But the variation spoken by Obi-Wan Kenobi is the force will be with you always. Now, I made no notes for Star Wars because I've been preparing my whole life. So, wow us. Now's your time. I mean, what more? All right. What more do you say about may the force be with you? Some people haven't seen Star Wars, believe it or not. What is the force, Brandon? Can I take this moment to just tell everybody, stop fucking around and get ready for Disney Plus and watch The Mandalorian with me? Uh, I won't be doing that, but I will be getting Disney Plus. If you have Disney Plus anyway, why wouldn't you? It's just, there's so many other shows out there that interest me more. So, why would I prioritize The Mandalorian over other shows that interest me more? Because it's what I want. Well, anyway, Disney Plus coming at you soon. Sponsor today's show. They don't need me. Uh, Okay, so the rest of these get even more difficult. Let me give you... Yeah, why don't you get your special guest on that can give some good hints. Let me get get these clues going. So, I'm going to go with the one that I think is the worst quote. It's the one that I actually was like, I have so many problems with this quote. Is it that'll do pig? No, no, no. (laughs) I had never even heard of this quote before. Okay. I'm going to read you the quote and you try to give a... Fucking shot in the dark. See if you could... I don't know anything about this. I'm guessing you don't either. The quote is, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Bumpy night? Yeah. Movie came out in 1950. I I don't know. You don't know it. It's from the movie All About Eve, starring Betty Davis as Margot Channing. What number is this? Number nine. So, I had never heard this quote before. And in fact, I think this quote is stupid because... I'd always heard it as fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Ride. Why would you fasten your seatbelt if the night, how do you make a bumpy night? Did the- Bumpy night, the bumpy night sounds like what a mentally deficient couple would say, like would call their date night. That's our bumpy night. (laughs) Well, do we know that it's going to be a bumpy ride wasn't said in a film before this one and this is a- No, it should have been. This whole quote just makes me sick to my stomach. A bumpy night sounds like what Brandon does after a night of Diet Dr. Pepper. (laughs) So, this film stars Betty Davis as Margot Channing, a highly regarded but aging Broadway star. Anne Baxter... (laughs) You should have just ended it broad. (laughs) Aging broad. Anne Baxter plays Eve Harrington, an ambitious young fan who maneuvers herself into Channing's life, ultimately threatening Channing's career and her personal relationships. That was the, the only thing I could focus on about this because I read about Betty Davis and I read about this movie. It's really not that interesting but I was so fixated on the fact that it was, a, they were, everyone was like, oh, how cool is it? She takes a drink and she kind of like dramatically walks over to the staircase. She says, fasten your seatbelts and she whips her head around. She's like, it's going to be a bumpy night. God damn, I got chills. Like... That doesn't give you chills? If you were standing there and someone said that, wouldn't you immediately be like, I thought it was ride. Because <laughs> uh, you yeah. put on your seatbelt when you're riding in a car. A bumpy night well, just confuses me. Hey, where are you going? Well, okay. In its defense, to play devil's advocate here, to play Brandon's advocate, if anything is bumpy like a roller coaster, you also fasten a seatbelt. So, it could just be, I get it. I mean, I'll, I'll give it a pass. I mean, I don't disagree that it sounds, it doesn't sound right. You are playing but, fast and loose with the rules. Uh, all right. 
All right, so you know who else is playing fast and loose? I got I got to stop you real quick. Yeah. Our listeners that are rating us on Apple Podcasts. Playing fast and loose with their They're playing fast and loose. Rating typing thumbs. Listen to this one. This first one comes from K9S0 who said, "Great podcast, unsubscribe." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I like it because that person could have unsubscribed for one of many reasons. We've told our listeners to unsubscribe many times over the months. Yeah. So, we don't know which thing they unsubscribed for. I don't, and I like that they weren't specific. Yeah. They just, they got it done. Here's one more from uh, Funnybone9122. Hey, that's mine. Yeah. Everyone's going to have to bear with me here on this one. <clears throat> hey, if you're not listening to the show, then I think you need a frontal lobe lobotomy. This show has everything. Lists, hosts, jokes, and those things that dads love to get for Christmas. Socks, ties, and thunder thighs. If you don't immediately listen to this podcast and rate it five stars, then go ahead and unsubscribe. With literally 100 exclamation points. Wow. I know why they call him Funny Bone. Do you still want to be my friend after I read that? Was it in all caps? The whole thing was all caps and laden with exclamation points. I love that enthusiasm. I feel your passion coming through the screen. Yeah. So, thank you, Funny Bone 91, some other numbers. 9122. We want to thank both of you for leaving us reviews and we will read your shitty review on this show if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Brandon, speaking of shitty, why don't I give you another guess for your quotes? Or do you want to guess or do you, are you, you just want to go straight back into clues? Read me off some of the years again. The 1942 movie, I won't get. What are the other years? 1983, 1983, 1950, and 1976. Let's concentrate on the 1976 movie. Okay. This movie came out in 1976. It is currently available on Netflix and I have actually, before I started doing this list, I have been watching, I've watched, so I've been watching this movie recently. It is really good. It's just as good as I had always heard. It is an early movie for the director of Goodfellas and one of the stars of Goodfellas and one of the stars of The Godfather Part 2. Robert De Niro? Robert De Niro is the actor who says the quote. Is it Raging Bull? It is not Raging Bull. What is uh, Taxi? No, that's not 76. Taxi Driver Uh, came out in 1976. Okay. What is the quote? I don't know. I don't think I've seen it. You can easily. Like I said, it's on Netflix right now. The quote is, you talking to me? Oh, that. Yeah. So, I think everyone has probably seen that scene or seen a parody of that scene. Wait, seen a parrot? A parody. A parody? parody. Is that like a parakeet? The number 10. This is good. This is funny. This is bad. Now, number 10 on the list. That's, it's, you got the last one. It's number 10 on the list. It's said by Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle. A Taxi Driver, 1976. Now, Taxi Driver, it's set in a decaying and morally bankrupt New York City following the Vietnam War. The film tells the story of a lonely veteran, played by De Niro, who's working as a taxi driver, and he descends into insanity as he plots an assassination of a presidential candidate for whom the woman he's infatuated with works and a pimp of an underage prostitute that he had befriended. The movie is awesome. It does really capture this lonely, depressed guy's descent into madness. It is interesting to see movies deep like that back in the 70s, huh? Talking about exploring like kind of darker themes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think towards the end of the 60s, 
I think films started to maybe explore. Grow up a little bit. Yeah, explore some of the things. It's definitely a movie that can only be made like after Vietnam. After Vietnam, there's you know, there's probably lots of um, film student theses. Theses? Theses? What? How, what's Film m- student? What, what's more than one thesis called? Theses? No, it's feces. Thesi? Anyway, uh, written on the effect that the Vietnam War had on film around the world or maybe specifically on American film. And Taxi Driver is definitely a product of the Vietnam War. Something interesting I noticed watching it is how fucked up and gross and dirty and dangerous and scary New York City in the 70s looks. It was filmed during a sanitation workers strike. So, all the dirt and stuff that is on like the dirt and the trash and shit in the streets that's all over this movie is real. It wasn't planted or it wasn't like fake for the set. They just filmed it there. It was also kind of cool how they filmed uh, the scenes in the taxi for the time. Like the sound guys would hide in the trunk and they would use natural available existing light as opposed to like mounting a rig, you know, on the side of a taxi. Yeah, that is cool. I kind of told you a little bit about the plot, right? Robert De Niro's character, Travis, is driving a taxi rent and he sees this beautiful blonde woman who's played by Sybil Shepard and she works in the campaign office for this politician. He goes, tries to go out with her. Uh, you can tell like something's not quite right about him. Maybe something's not right about her too, but it doesn't go well and he gets frustrated. Eventually, he meets like a 12 or 13 year old prostitute and her pimp and the prostitute is played by Jodie Foster. God. Now, Nick, do you remember the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan? I know you weren't there. You well, didn't. I wasn't alive then. You didn't attempt. You weren't the, the perpetrator, but do you remember that that happened? Yes. Do you remember the name of, of the uh, would-be assassin? Um, Brendan Fraser. John Hinckley Jr. Okay. Do you remember why he was trying to assassinate Ronald Reagan? Mm, something about a DoorDash delivery gone wrong? No. He was trying to assassinate Ronald Reagan to impress Jodie Foster. He was trying to assassinate a politician to impress the woman who played the underage prostitute. The actress? Right. I mean, he was mentally ill. Yeah, right. That's fucked up though. Can you, I mean, you can see how the movie inspired this mentally ill guy to commit a real act of assassination. Anyway, um, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, Hinckley. He stated that his actions were an attempt to impress actress Jodie Foster, who he was fixated on, by mimicking Travis's... So, at the end of, of uh, Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro's character shaves and cuts his hair into a mohawk, which in Vietnam was like, if you saw a guy with a mohawk, pretty much meant like that dude is ready to get... That dude likes to murder and you need to stay out of his way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was mimicking Travis's mohawked appearance Hinckley's attorney concluded his defense of Hinckley by playing the movie for the jury. Which you got to admit, if you're in a... They played the whole movie? Yeah. If you're in a jury, I mean, first of all, this case is probably not boring at all. You got a guy who's mentally ill. He's pleading insanity. He tried to murder the president of the United States. His defense is that a movie made him do it. So, all of this is amazing enough. And then at some point, they're like, hey, tomorrow we're bringing in popcorn and pizza and we're going to have a movie date. It's like the last day of school. 
If you have to yeah, be, be if you got to be on a trial, that's the one you be on. You get to watch a movie, and this is what you need. You need to hope you go to jury duty and you get on a trial where they make you watch some of these movies you haven't seen yet. Right. That's <laughs> part of someone's insanity defense. Yeah, maybe that's the strategy, as opposed to just watching it for free on Netflix at any time. When Martin Scorsese heard about John Hinckley's motivation behind the assassination and the connection to a taxi driver, he th- mm-hmm. he thought about quitting filmmaking, wow. but he didn't. He, and I realized that this says he thought about quitting filmmaking and I mean, it could have been as brief as like for a moment, he's like, oh shit, maybe I should stop. And then he just goes, nah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. It didn't say like he thought about it for six months yeah. and smoked a lot of cigarettes and stayed up late and was pulling out his hair and pacing. I mean, it could have been that or it could have been that he said like, hey man, may shit, nah, I'll keep it to myself. You know in Seinfeld when George is thinking of proposing to Susan and also when Jerry's thinking of proposing to the girl he does later, Mm -hmm. they both sit on a park bench, there's like sappy music playing while they think and then when they make their decision, they stand up and run and all the pigeons fly away. the pigeons fly away, yeah. That could have happened to Martin Scorsese as well. We don't know. (laughs) When he decided he was still going to make movies. (laughs) He said said his decision was, fuck it. (laughs) Yeah, he just looks up and goes, ah, nah, fuck it. And then he just runs anyway for the exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I need to stretch my legs. One thing I wanted to go back to is you mentioned the Mohawk thing, Mm -hmm. how in Vietnam that meant that's like a guy not to fuck with. Yeah. It's kind of like now when you're walking around uh, the everyday in the modern time and you see people walking around with whatever your haircut is and they know, oh shit, that's a guy who eats fucking hot dogs over an airport trash can. Don't fuck with him. I thought you were going to say something about like a guy walking around with Crocs. That would have been a good direction to take. Don't fuck with him. He has, he's got nothing left to lose. Okay. So, there's three more remaining on here. You're missing number five, number six, and number seven. Yep. Number five and number seven came out in 1942 and 1950 respectively. I know you're never going to get these. Citizen Kane, one of them? No. So, let's start with number five. Okay. It came out in 1942. The movie is Casablanca. I'll never get it. <laughs> Tell me that if it's a really famous line, like for example, everyone has heard "May the Force be with you," even if they've never right, seen even it, even if you haven't seen it, it is a line you have heard outside the so movie. So give me hints on that then. It's five words long. <laughs> okay. The last word is "kid." Here's looking to you, kid. Here's looking at you, kid, is number five on the list. It's said by Humphrey Bogart's character Rick Blaine in 1942's Casablanca. Casablanca is set during World War II, focuses on an American expatriate, that's the one played by Bogey, who must choose between his love for a woman and helping her husband, her husband, a Czech resistance leader, escape from the Vichy-controlled city of Casablanca to continue to fight against the Nazis. I haven't seen it. Okay. I've seen I've seen parts of it and it's back in the day when they, you know, it's that, I guess that maybe that before Brando thing where the actors used to act so fake and corny. Yeah. You'll regret it, dear. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday and soon and for the rest of your life. Is that how people really talked back then? No, or is that just like I, the style of film? Yeah, it's a that... style. It's a style that, yeah, it is a style. I don't know what it's called, but it is definitely a style. It's not like naturalistic. It's not like modern methods of acting. It's fucking corny black and white shit. Spoken by uh, acting expert Brandon, sidekick host of the Tennis Podcast. Now, in one of the last scenes, uh, oh, sorry, in the final scene, in the background, there is an airplane 
It's a Lockheed Model 12 Electra Jr. with people walking around it. To get this scene right, for it to fit in the background just right, they had to use a small cardboard plane and then have little people as extras walk beside it. <laughs> so, in the background, it's supposed to look like an airplane with like full-size adult men walking around it. But instead, they just made a little plane and then hired munchkins. I bet some of the munchkins got reused. Yeah, yeah, reused. Reusing munchkins left and right over here. Reused. And then they made it foggy to mask the model's unconvincing appearance. And I would assume to mask the fact that like some of the munchkins that have like a very, like a twisty curly mustache or a twisty like curly woodly whoop thing on the top of their head. Well, yeah. I just have to assume those were their real haircuts and hairstyles <laughs> that showed up. <laughs> like, oh, look at you. Aren't you perfect for this? Do you think they talked to the munchkins like adults or they treated them like little pets? <laughs> like, oh, look, look at him. <laughs> um, don't condone it. I don't condone it. I don't it. condone it. But they are, it's because they're wearing shoes with little twisty, pointy things on the end. They purposely made them the cutest people in the world. Their name is Munchkin. Is Munchkin a word that like rose to prominence? Yeah, because of the movie. Because of Wizard of Oz, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's all I got about Casablanca is I tried to tie it back to Munchkins. Yeah, congratulations. I know what number six has to be. Okay. I'm surprised I didn't guess it earlier. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. May I take your order? <laughs> it is not, it's nothing, nothing from Good Burger crap nothing, to the top 100. Nothing for, wow, that's, yeah, question the uh, credibility on this list. All right, 1983. I might have a shot at that. This one's hard. Well, 1983 I don't think is going to help you too much. Saw 4. Let me first give you the name of the movie, Sudden Impact. Do you know anything mm -hmm. about the movie Sudden Impact? No, I don't. Okay. How about the hair character of Dirty Harry Callahan? Oh, go on punk, think my day. Well, you're mixing two of them up. It's do you, do you feel lucky oh. punk is a different quote and it is in the top 100 yeah. but the one in the top 10 is go ahead, make my day. Yeah. Number six on the list. I'm glad Clint got to, got in the top 10 there. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. I was going to say this is one of the only quotes in the top 10 that I'm like, that makes sense. That's a good one. I guess he doesn't really have any good one-liners in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, huh? Uh... He probably does. It's one of those three movies, the Man With No Name movies where he says, Buzzard's Gotta Eat too." Yeah. Or is that two meals for Sister Sarah? <laughs> are you t wait, are you talking about your last family reunion? <laughs> I've seen a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. So, Sudden Impact is the fourth in the Dirty Harry series and it is the only one directed by Clint Eastwood. I didn't know he was directing movies as far back as 1983. I guess you haven't seen Sudden Impact and I had not seen it in a long time. Listen to the synopsis for this. The film tells the story of a gang rape victim who decides- Is this from Wikipedia? Yeah. Who decides yeah. to seek revenge on the rapists 10 years after the attack by killing them one by one. Inspector Callahan, famous for his unconventional and often brutal crime-fighting tactics, is tasked with tracking down the serial killer. As Callahan investigates the killings, he becomes romantically entangled with the woman, not knowing that she is responsible for the murders. So, I guess it is actually kind of a cool story. Like, she's like, I'm going to wait 10 years, I'm going to murder these guys one by one. Actually, that is yeah. really cool. It's not believable. There's other films like that too. But that sucks that they make her the bad guy. Is she though? 
I don't know. I haven't seen it. But he falls in love with her. But then I'm sure the struggle comes when he's like, oh, shit, she's a murderer. <laughs> she's the one I bet she's under, been under my nose and under my ding dong this whole time. Well, they don't call me Dirty Harry for nothing. I don't know. Do you know fucking Clint Eastwood's 89? And he still makes like a movie every year. That's crazy. You know what my favorite Eastwood film is besides The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Is it Any Which Way But Loose with starring a monkey? No. Hmm. It's The Outlaw Josie Wales. Have you actually seen that movie? Yes. Really? I love that movie. I own it. I am pleasantly surprised. That is also one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies. I saw it for the first time in my, I don't, I think the class was called The American West or something in high school. Mm -hmm. And we literally, I was introduced to Westerns in that class. That's where I first saw Good Band the Ugly, Lonesome Dove, Outlaw Josie Wales, a few others. Now, I have to ask you, have you seen Unforgiven? Yes, but it's been a very long time. If you have not watched Josie, The Outlaw Josie Wales in a while, watch The Outlaw Josie Wales and then rewatch Unforgiven. You remember there, in Unforgiven, there is a kid who comes to him and tells him about the woman who's been cut up, tells him about the, you know, the whore's gold, whatever, the bounty on these guys. It's this kid, this blonde kid who, you know, kind of bluffs and acts, blusters, acts like he's bigger than he is. He looks and sounds exactly like the same kid on the riverboat, uh, whatever, the raft in the oh, river in, uh, in the outlaw Josie Wales. Like to the point where I was like, how is it not the same actor? How did they do that? It looks like the same dude. Well, we'll get Clint on the show sometime. Have him, you can ask him yourself. My God, he would be so puzzled. Like... <laughs> He hasn't thought about Josie Wales in fucking 40 years. Well, I mean, There's what would no he way. even think about talking to us, sticking on headphones, doing a podcast? <laughs> He'd have to come to one of our houses because that's where our studio oh is. Oh, my God. He'd be so <laughs> fucking disappointed with my office. Oh, man. Who do you think would be more disappointed in us to talk to us, Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood. You think Clint Eastwood would be more disappointed? I think Clint Eastwood would be more polite about his disappointment, oh, yes. whereas Jack Nicholson would be much more like open about how he thinks we're a bunch of he fucking just, morons. Yeah, like maybe like, like do us the uh, favor of turning his head towards us and lifting an eyebrow and saying something like, I don't give a fuck about either one of you turds. <laughs> the next person who talks loses all their teeth. Oh, man. Okay, so the last quote on here. Yeah, 1950, right? Yeah, 1950. I'm just going to start reading you stuff from this and I don't think you're going to get it. I wouldn't have gotten it either. And in fact, this quote is often misquoted. So, if you get the misquote, misquotation, I'd even count that. Uh, the movie is Sunset Boulevard from 1950. The actress is Gloria Swanson playing the character Norma Desmond. And that helped not at all, did it? She related to Ron Swanson. <laughs> it would, would have made this marginally more interesting. The quote is, and I'm sorry I have to just reveal it to you. The quote is, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Is that where I'm ready for my close-up comes from? Yeah, I'm ready for my close-up comes from there and it's often misquoted as, I'm ready for my close-up, comma, Mr. DeMille. You see how pretty much this whole list we've talked about how these films sound boring or we don't want to see these films. <laughs> yeah. What do you think in, you know, 50 years from now, would these films even be like, will people even remember them? I am very curious because I think we talked about this in one of our music episodes, but, you know, recorded film and audio is a very relatively new thing in human history. 
to think of the quantity of output of film these days. It's going to get harder and harder to remember stuff from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. I think the only thing we could use it as a comparison to is our, our books or like written stories. I don't know. I'm sure that like in the future, there will be people who are like digital archivists and stuff. How about this? You know, even films in the 90s and shit, it's fucking crazy to say it, but like you can go back and say like, oh, the effects sucked there or like, and the, or movies today, look how realistic. Yeah, the Scorpion King. <laughs> what is it going to be like in a hundred years? Well, I know what you'll say. We'll be uh, walking around with donkeys in a hundred years because yeah, if we're not, nuclear war. If we're not, you know, if we're not chewing on sticks and rubbing dirt on our wounds, then I ha- I'd have to think that entertainment would take the form of something that like moves beyond just the uh, senses of sight and sound. It starts to incorporate more of your senses and probably also involves implanting feelings or other sensory input like directly into your brain. I think it would be like really difficult in the future to establish reality from fantasy. Kind of weird and scary like in the future would it be possible for someone to kind of like an episode of Black Mirror find you in your sleep and stick something on your head that takes over you know, your sensory input. And for the rest of your life, you think that you're feeling, seeing, smelling, doing other things. Uh, But in actuality, you know, you're like rotting in your bed or in a jail cell or something like that. Uh, So, good times. That's Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's say that does happen. Is that so bad to think you're doing all these other things if you're actually No, I mean, I guess it could be good. It could could be the way that like (laughs) in the future, that could be the way that we retire. It's like we don't have any, mo- any money to actually like stay alive and be com- physically comfortable. So, we'll just be sedated somewhere and have like an Oculus Rift put on our, on our eyes where we can pretend we're on a beach somewhere. That is an episode of Black Mirror basically. See, I need to be a writer for Black Mirror instead of doing this shit. Yeah, exactly. Let me uh, wrap up Sunset Boulevard here since I'd never seen this movie and we're all on pins and needles waiting for Sunset Boulevard. And I have no intention of ever seeing Sunset Boulevard. This film stars William Holden as Joe Gillis, an unsuccessful screenwriter, and Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond, a faded silent film star who draws him into her fantasy world, where she dreams of making a triumphant return to the screen. In that movie, she refers to, in that line, she refers to director Cecil B. DeMille. He played himself in that movie. And I also found out uh, that Gloria Swanson, the actress who said the line, had an affair with Joseph Kennedy, father of Jenna F. Kennedy. I made a Kennedy joke earlier in this episode and look how it just came full circle. It's because they're, well, the Kennedys just, every one of the Kennedys plus their father plus Clark Gable plus Marlon Brando just got the craziest boners they ever had and then just ran as fast as they could straight through Hollywood and just poked it at everything that came in sight. Well, they just impaled everything that they encountered. <laughs> like Vlad the Impaler, but with their... Winky. Yep. So, uh, those are the greatest movie quotes. Yeah. Go, go back through them for us. Number 10 was You Talking to Me from Taxi Driver. Number 9 was Fasten Your Seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy night. The stupidest thing anybody ever said. Oh, come on. From All, All About Eve. Number eight is May the Force Be With You from Star Wars. Number seven, All Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm Ready for My Close-Up from Sunset Boulevard. Number six, Go Ahead, Make My Day. Number five, Here's Looking at You, Kid. Number four, Toto, 
I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Number three, I could have been a contender. Number two, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, which is probably the most useful of all of these. And then number one, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, which I think is would also be useful if uh, it didn't sound so corny with the frankly and the my dear part. Well, it, without those and it's just a phrase, I don't give a damn. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, not a quote anymore. That's a lot more impactful. I think the one I hear the most quoted just like in everyday life. Show me the money. Well, actually, yeah. But also, I'm going to make them an offer you can't refuse. Uh-huh. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And obviously, the Star Wars one. Do you, do you think Star Wars is too low on this list? No, I think Star Wars is probably actually too high. I don't think May the Force Be With, May the Force be with You is so specific to the Star Wars universe. It really can't be applied to anything outside of that. Whereas all of the rest of these have some sort of application that could be fit into another context. Oh my God. Here, so there's a whole page with the 400 greatest movie quote nominees. First one on the list is, all righty then. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's, that's your real number yeah, one. Glancing through here, I see some real good ones like, surely you can't be serious. I am serious. You know, don't call me Shirley. Yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, look, there it is. Number 30 on the 400 nominated quotes. That'll do, pig. That'll do. I think considering I haven't seen almost all the movies that we talked about, I think I did pretty damn well. You did. You did surprisingly well. Surprisingly, just take out, I'll edit the word surprisingly out and I did pretty well. You did astoundingly well considering your mental handicap. Wow, okay. So, now we're taking shots at mentally handicapped people, okay. No, just yours. All right. I guess that's it. The, t the best movie quotes. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thank you, AFI. Thank you for listening. This was episode 62 of the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back next week. I already have my list picked out and Brandon, I don't know if... I haven't told you this but, you know, I, I'm doing that listener survey. Mm -hmm. I sent out a, a survey to our listeners and by the way, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TennisPod. And on all of those, I put out a link to this survey if you want to take it uh, to help us improve our show. Anyway, I asked those survey takers, what kind of lists do you want to see more of? Mm -hmm. And I think you'll be pleased with the result. They want more history. Really? More history-based lists. So, keep that in mind for your future list. You all, you will all fucking pay for that. <laughs> You'll regret you will that. all regret the amount of history I'm about to dive into. I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into massacres. I'm going to get into people who got uh, beheaded, political prisoners. We're at a real advantage compared to other podcasts for covering history because we have a sidekick host that lived through pretty much every historical event uh, in history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't like that joke? What are you going to do? You can talk history to me on Twitter at SidekickHost. Yeah. You can talk... Clean. Talk clean with me on Twitter at Nick underscore E-M-E-L. And by the way, I announced over the weekend that uh, we starting the Tennis Podcast Book Club. So, go buy the book 112263 by Stephen King. It is a science fiction time travel book about preventing the assassination of John F. Kennedy again. There's the third Kennedy reference on this show. Anyway, it's a great book. You will love it. And I'm asking everyone to finish it by the end of this year. And then in January, 
Brand and I will host a open forum on discussion of the book and we'll also release a new episode about the book. Yes. There it is. We're done here. I'm Nick. He's Brandon. We'll see you next week. Bye.